do not try to maximize profit, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people. But my best clients work deals more on velocity. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Uh, Just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fun That Flip, you know Fun That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fun That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you gotta do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've gotta qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's gonna help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hi, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, and many other best ever guests. And with us today, we've got a hard money lending expert. How you doing, Dean Tillman? I'm doing great, Joe. How about you? I'm doing really well. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Dean. He is the president of the direct hard money lender called Paces Funding. And Paces Funding is the largest hard money lender in Atlanta. He originates and underwrites hundreds of loans every year, and oversees the management of hundreds of rental houses. He's been a full-time real estate investor and lender since 2004, and he's based in Hotlanta, Georgia. And you can say hi to him at pacesfunding.com. With that being said, Dean, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you focus on? Absolutely. So, yeah, so I've been, I got into the real estate market out of the corporate world. Like a lot of investors, um, you know, had, had been doing the corporate thing for a while and was getting kind of fed up. 9-11 had happened and was kind of reassessing what I wanted to do and kind of starting my own company and, and doing my own business was really, you know, kind of something that I realized now's the time to do it. Two young kids and I've been doing internet sales and selling to a bunch of people who would ask me why a certain widget was on a place on a window I'm like, you know, is this really what's important in life? <laughs> so I, you know, I'd, I'd had a friend who was a hard money lender in Florida, and he said, you know, I'd, I'd love to kind of do the same thing up in Atlanta, but Atlanta's known for having a lot of schemers and fraudsters. 
and that was you know back in the days of of the liar loans and a a lot of I guess creative financing we call it. Yes. Yes, uh, very much, which we saw all over the country. So, got out of the corporate world, um, did a few flips of my own, so got my feet wet, had some good mentors, which is really important. That kind of got me going the right direction and taught me the, the good things from the bad things. And then just kind of cut the cord and started doing hard money lending full-time in 2004. And back then, it was um, a little bit more of a... I don't want to call it a shady type of industry, but you go to some of these real estate organizations and people would under their breath say, hey, you know any hard money lenders? You know, kind of like you're buying drugs or something. And, and coming from more of a corporate background, I said, there's got to be a better way that we can portray ourselves. So when we started at Pace's Funding, you know, that was one of the goals I wanted to have was to present it more of a boutique niche financing product, not for the people that are you know, down on their luck or don't have any money or don't have any credit. So we kind of came into the market a little bit differently back then. Um, the market crashed. Everybody knows all about that. Fortunately, uh, we had not gotten overly concentrated in the areas where there was rampant speculation. Most of my competition was lending in some areas where You'd have an 800-square-foot house, cinder block house with weeds growing up. They'd say it'd be worth $300,000. So things just didn't pass the sniff test. Mm -hmm. So we didn't lend in some of those areas, which enabled us to weather the downturn. When everything crashed, we didn't have loans in those bad areas. Everybody went out of business. Um, uh, we stayed in business. And then now as the markets come back, we've continued to grow. So it's been a pretty exciting past decade or so. What's a typical loan that you do right now? We lend to rehabbers and builders, mostly rehabbers. But it's a person buying a $80,000 house, putting $30,000 of repairs in it, and selling it for one seventy. That's a bread and butter deal for here in the Atlanta market. Okay. And you lend only in the state of Georgia or... We've been lending just in the state of Georgia. Um, I take a very hands-on approach. I, I meet every borrower. I look at every property. I don't have um, Fannie or Freddie backing me up. I don't have TARP money if I make a mistake. So it's a very hands-on business. Having said that, we're about to start lending in Florida. I'm from Florida originally and have a lot of contacts there and know that market. So we're going to expand to that market and see how that goes. And if that goes well, then expand to some other contiguous states in the Southeast. Mm. What's one thing that you've done to change how you underwrite properties from when you started to what you're doing now? Don't assume that there's going to be price appreciation that just goes on forever and ever. Now I definitely look at values and, and realize there's going to be a maximum, at least in my mind, of what a house will be able to sell for. Whereas we used to think there's always going to be appreciation. As, as long as you buy a decent deal, it's going to sell for more. That may be true, but I don't assume it's true every time these days. And how do you have the checks and balances in place? What do you look for specifically so that you're buying based on value, not assuming price appreciation? Well, we appraise every property. We have a third-party appraiser and just say, you know, what's that going to sell for in 60 to 90 days? Shoot it right down the middle. Now, that is looking at historical data, so obviously that doesn't necessarily help us. But there are a number of other reports that come out. We use something called Metro Study. 
that provides data for the Atlanta market that I can analyze to look at what future trends are going to be. I'm not an office person. I'm out in the field a pretty good bit. Uh, you know, I can tell where certain areas are starting to go downhill, where there's too much investor activity, where the hedge funds have purchased a lot of properties. So that may cause some type of pullback in the future. Looking at school data, uh, the public school systems, that's, that's very important. So a number of pieces of data I look at to try to determine what's going to happen in the future. None of it's foolproof, but it, it helps the overall evaluation. How many employees do you have right now? We have six employees right now. Okay, you have six employees, and what are their responsibilities? We have a bookkeeper, loan processor. We have someone that helps with originations. We are also managing a portfolio of 120 houses for a defunct hard money lender. So I have an asset manager and a property manager also. Let's talk about that portfolio of 120 houses of a now defunct what, hard money lender, is that what you said? Correct, correct. What, what happened there? They had made a lot of loans in parts of town they probably shouldn't have. Higher loan to value than they should have. What was the higher loan to value? They were lending at 70 to 75 of what they thought the after repair value would be, but those after repair values were never realized. So it was really about 200% loan to value, unfortunately. Mm. So there's extremely underwater. So we were just brought in just to manage the properties. The owners are going to hold them and determine what to do with them in the future once the market comes back in certain areas here. So as much as I'm a hard money lender, I'm a property manager also. So that kind of helps me in both functions. The 120 houses, I assume, maybe I'm incorrectly assuming it was a foreclosure. So wouldn't that be the bank that owns them? Well, it was a hard money lender. So it's not a bank. It's a private lender. Uh And hard, hard money lenders are funded by private individuals. Um, at least we have been. Some have bank money. But these were private people who put their own money out to be lent to other investors. Mm-hmm. So when that $200,000 loan, all of a sudden the property was only worth $80,000, they didn't want to sell it for eighty and take a $120,000 hit. They said, mm-hmm. let's just rent it out and I'll Give it to my grandkids, maybe. Mm-hmm. Just hold on to it. I mean, that's real money from real people. It's yeah. not institutional money. Yeah. And are there just a bunch of people who are in that portfolio then? There's not that many. It's, it's, it's a small number. And okay. so they had the ability to, to ride the storm out. They didn't need to liquidate immediately. Got it. So do you have multiple clients for that? Or is there one point person you work with? One point person work for for that. Okay. And your team does the property management for it, right? Correct. Okay. And what area of Atlanta is the not-so-good area? Historically, it's been the southwest part of Atlanta inside the perimeter. And that goes back several generations where you had interstates built in places that they initially weren't designed to be built, Um, areas that may have been blue-collar where all of a sudden there weren't jobs. I mean – Typical of a lot of cities, but it's generally the southwest part of Atlanta is where that's been. And how long has your team been managing the 120 houses? 2009. Holy cow, since 2009. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. And what have you learned, not from a, hey, don't over leverage yourself, I understand that, but as far as the actual day-to-day management, 
what's something that you've learned or your team has learned as a result of managing it for now seven years? On the management side, it's don't get too close to your renters in some of these areas. They often have a story. I've never known so many people could have so many funerals that they have to pay for uh, at certain (laughs) times. And medical bills, it's like they're in the hospital every few weeks. It used to be I lost my job, and we could understand that, but then it turns into the second, third, fourth, and fifth excuse. And when we first got into managing these properties, we were very sympathetic to it, and, and we would let people not pay rent for a period of time until we realized they were just taking advantage of us. And that's just something, you know, not to sound cold, but it is a business. And our team here, we've had to learn that to try to decide for when someone is being genuine with the true financial hardship versus trying to work the system. When you look at your overall company's focus, do you see more profitability coming from the loans or the management? The loans, definitely. The management is good. It, it, it pays back our investors. It's a profit center for us, but it really basically just keeps lights on here at our office. It's the lending side of it, which is really the growth area where most of our income is derived. And how do you make money on a loan? There's uh, an origination fee, which for us, it's five points. So 5% of the amount we lend, we charge as an origination fee. Our interest rate is 15%. And that's over a year, so there's no prepayment penalty. So that's generally what it is. So if we can, our loans typically pay off in six months. So if we can turn that money twice a year at five points and 15% interest, that's a 25% gross return. Mm-hmm. And do you work with investors who are doing their first deal and people who are very experienced? And if so, is there a sliding scale on those fees? We work with first-time investors and we work with experienced investors. Once we've worked with them on a few deals and assuming they've been successful, (laughs) our our pricing does come down some. But I can tell you, with experienced investors, what I've learned is you're only as good as your last deal Mm -hmm. because so many people that I've worked with will have three or four deals where they do fantastic and they think they can do no wrong and they take their eye off the ball, and they end up not doing as well on that next deal. So I have to almost treat my experienced investors like first-time investors and stay on top of them to make sure they keep their eye on the ball. But the first-time investors are great also because they're such a sponge. They're so eager to learn, and so I enjoy working with them. And we don't recommend contractors and those types of things because that tends to muddy the water. But I'll provide some guidance to them and they'll call me, you know, hey, I'm having a problem. This plumber hadn't showed up or, or he, it failed the inspection. Now he won't call me back. And so I'll provide some kind of free consulting to a lot of these first-time investors, which, which I really get a lot out of. What is one or two common things that when an investor whose experience takes their, as you said, eye off the ball, it happens? What are the couple problems? Well, one of the main things we see is they delegate. They'll try to grow their organization probably quicker than they should. They'll bring in a few superintendents or project managers, and they'll start traveling. We literally, I've had clients where they're in California or the Bahamas or Vegas, and (laughs) they've made good money. You know, they've made several hundred thousand over six months, maybe, and they just think it's going to keep going. And so I can't even reach them sometimes. And they'll come back. 
and they'll realize that the project hasn't moved forward or there have been so many mistakes they've got to go back and fix it. So that's one of the main ways they take their eye off the ball. The other way is they've worked with the same subs over a period of time, and they assume those subs give them the best pricing. All my experienced investors, they all swear they've got the best pricing of anybody in Atlanta. And I go to them and say, well, won't you go back and just bid out some of these subs just to double check? And almost every time, they realize that the subs have been marking them up, you know, 3% on this job and extra 5% and 10%. And they're paying way more than the market is just because they thought these subs were locked in with them. And again, it gets back to when they very first started investing, they would have gotten two, three, four bids. But they took their eye off the ball and just got too lazy with how they treated subs. And is there a, a balancing act there? Because on one hand, you want the lowest price, but on the other, you want an experience, relationship, and track record with a sub. Before we do a loan, we'll also send a contractor out there, a third-party contractor, to walk the project, look at the budget, and we very often see very low prices. And in the report, it comes back and says, you know, you can't put a roof on for $1,000. You can't rewire a house for 1200 Because these new investors will get hoodwinked by a contractor saying they can do this at a very cheap price. And I explained to them, they're going to come back and they're going to change order you to death. They're going to say, oh, you wanted to have a, an outlet where that wire is. I didn't know you wanted an actual outlet there. And so it's going to end up being more expensive. And if that's really their mindset, you're probably going to pay for it in other ways also. Mm. So don't go for that cheapest price. Don't go for the highest price either because what we're seeing here in Atlanta and probably in other places is uh, the contractors are busy. And they'll come out and throw crazy high bids out knowing they'll never get to work, but occasionally they will. So don't take that bid either. Take something in the middle. Because there is something to be said about working with the same contractors, developing a relationship, paying a little bit more if they will actually show up on time and will stick to the timeline you've got. But you've always got to be balancing that out because they have issues in life too and they may not end up being the best guy for you in the future. Dean, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Do not try to maximize profit which is counterintuitive to a lot of people. But my best clients work deals more on velocity. If they can sell it 2 to 3% less than what they could make, but they can do an extra five deals more a year, then overall, at the end of the year, they're going to make more money. The ones who are greedy and try to eat every last dime out of a deal, the house sits on the market that much longer. They're paying my interest and it may not even sell for much longer than they think. So do not try to maximize profit. What's the threshold where you see someone who should pull the trigger on that? Because you don't want to miss out on the sale, but at the same time, you do want to get a good return. So is there a rule of thumb that you do? We have some clients that only make 12% on a deal and some that will make 30% on a deal. So I don't have one threshold that I use for that. Um, it can really vary depending on what time of the year, what part of Atlanta, what price point. Got it. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sounds good. 
All right, first a quick word from our best ever partners. If you're looking for funding for that fix and flip of yours, then check out Rod Stanback's company. And if you recognize Rod's name, that's because he was a guest on episode 291. His company's called Flip Funding, and they do real estate loans nationwide. Take advantage of the low rates today and the excellent customer service with Rod and his team. Go to flipfunding.com. That's F L I P F U N D I N G dot com. Or just simply call them at 844 354 7386. That's 844 354 7386. Best ever book you've read? Uh, you know, the. One of my favorite books is, is How Soccer Changed the World. It's not a professional book, but if you enjoy sports and you enjoy history, it really takes the game of soccer and shows how it was in, involved in so many political and religious decisions and wars throughout the world. So I would highly recommend that book. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learn from it? Uh, I'm an old engineer. I started off being an engineer and very quantitative and I worked at a, a aerospace engineering plant and was scared to make a decision on a capital piece of equipment just didn't want to make a mistake I had a mentor who told me don't be afraid to make mistakes we're all gonna make them you got to pull the trigger that has stuck with me don't be afraid to make mistakes you've got to make hard decisions best ever deal you've done on the lending side one of the best deals we had was about a million dollar loan where we charged five points and it paid off in 30 days. So that was very quick money. We determine success when a loan pays off, not when we do it. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, there will be some properties for sale. <laughs> it's very easy to lend it out. It's very hard to get it back. <laughs> what is one way that you found that is best to communicate with people who are struggling paying something back like because you want the money back you don't want to deal with any of the other paperwork so how do you do that workout with them if they're struggling it depends how they're struggling if they've been like some of my clients and gone to vegas for three months it's a very hard discussion and we will move to foreclose on it that doesn't happen very often usually i'll bring them in and we'll talk about what the struggles are and i'll you know recommend what i can we can sometimes hold off on their payment a little bit. We can work on fees with them. So I'll help them however I can on my end. That conversation varies as to kind of what position they put themselves in though. Best ever way you like to give back? With new investors. There are some hard money lenders that refuse to work with new investors where I thrive on it. Uh, I speak to different new investor groups here in the Atlanta market. New investors tend to come to me. I'll bring them you know, into my office and we'll sit and talk for two hours about what I've learned, what I see out in the marketplace. And other people around here will charge for something like that. But I think it's, people did that with me when I started out. So I think I should do it also. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Uh, The biggest mistake I've made so far in real estate, and I caught myself, but it was following the herd. Other lenders were working with certain investors and they were cutting price they were doing loans that were more aggressive than they should have. And I followed down that path also because I thought that's what you had to do to succeed. After I did a, you know, some bad loans and realized that's not the way to be successful, I was able to retreat from that. But it was a, it was a hard lesson to learn. 
what was the breaking point or turning point that made you go back to where, what you were originally doing? I was talking with some people in some other markets who had talked to actually some economists who said that there were some things going on with the market that they couldn't quantify. Um, this is back in 06, 07, and that they were concerned that something was going to happen in terms of the price appreciation. So I was having some bad loans based on parts of town I probably shouldn't have been in with some investors I shouldn't have been in. I heard that information about what some economists had said, and I immediately retreated and said it's better to make less money, do fewer loans until I figure out what I'm doing here. What's more important, the property having a lot of equity in it or the investor having experience? The property having a lot of equity in it. An inexperienced investor can make mistakes and still come out of that okay. What's the best place the best of our listeners can reach you? They can reach me two places. Dean at PacesFunding.com, D-E-A-N at PacesFunding.com, or by a direct line, 404-822-9507. Dean, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story and your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and talking about you know, your your evolution with the business and how you've grown it. And you, know, you got six team members now, largest hard money lender in Atlanta, focused in Georgia and perhaps growing it to Florida and, and in between as well in the near future. Some of the lessons that I wrote down that you mentioned is don't assume there will be price appreciation buy based on the value. We've heard that a lot, but boy, we can't hear it enough times because it's so darn true. And then also the specific ways that you do that. First, third-party appraiser, then looking at the different resources like the Metro study and other resources that you uh, you look at, as well as the advice that you had on don't try to maximize the profit if that means sidestepping offers that could make you profit. Because I think there's, if someone only hears don't maximize profit and they're a multifamily investor, like, well, I wanted to raise the rents and do these improvements. That's okay. It's only when you've got an offer to purchase that property and you will make a profit as well as your investors. Then you got to really take a hard look at actually selling because you don't know what's ahead. And I think that's really good advice. And then the biggest mistake, not following the herd, the bad loans that were happening in 2006. And uh, fortunately for you and uh, your team, yeah, you, having those conversations with economists and, and or, or talking to people who talk to the economists and uh, redirecting and ch- changing the course. So thank you so much for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks a lot, Joe. If you're looking for funding for that fix and flip of yours, then check out Rod Stanback's company. And if you recognize Rod's name, that's because he was a guest on episode 291. His company's called Flip Funding, and they do real estate loans nationwide. Take advantage of the low rates today and the excellent customer service with Rod and his team. Go to flipfunding.com. That's F-L-I-P-F-U-N-D-I-N-G dot com or just simply call them at 844-354-7386. That's 844-354-7386.